0: Welcome you to July 4th weekend. It's just an awesome, awesome time. I'm excited about today just to spend time together uh, as a church. If you haven't already, go ahead and grab out your Bibles, something to take some notes with. If you're visiting with us, you prefer fill in the blank versions of the notes, you can pull up the Victory Harvest Church app. Uh, I have all of the verses, all the notes, everything, all the points today there, just fill in the blank for you. We make it as easy as possible because we believe in taking notes here at Victory. We believe God will speak to us in these moments during worship, during the sermon, that he'll point something out in his word. I believe it's important to jot those things down. It's important to have that to remember by. When you go through your spiritual journey, you can look back uh, and remember things that God spoke to you. So it's important to have it to make in your life, not just in church, but I believe all throughout your devotions, all throughout your worship time, throughout the week. It's important to jot things down that the Lord shows you so you can reference those as we continue to grow. And so I told you this summer series, right? This is a this is a time of growth for us. Each week, a different idea. Each week, a different uh, topic. Something that maybe doesn't need an entire series. But each week, an idea that we need to grow in as a church, that I believe God is just opening one door each week that we can look through. Because if we do everything at once, I think we're overwhelmed, we do nothing. But if we take one thing at a time, one idea, one thing we can put into practice in our lives, we'll grow spiritually, not only individually, not only as your family, but as a church. And so I believe that oftentimes we get an idea or we get a topic or a Bible verse or something that sticks out to us. And oftentimes... We allow our excuses to keep us on the sidelines of pursuing them. Sometimes it's because we are overwhelmed with how many there are. Sometimes it's because we just allow the things of this life we talked about last week a little bit. We allow just life to happen to keep us from that. God, I would love to serve in that area, but I just have... Or God, I would love to lead a small group, but I just, you know, I'm just not in the right. Or God, I would love to fulfill the purpose you're showing me. I would love to do that in my life, but... And too often we allow our excuses to get in the way and not only get in the way of enjoyment of life, not only get in the way of connecting with other people, not only get in the way of having fun. Oftentimes we let our excuses get in the way of fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. And that's where it becomes very dangerous for the Christian. I'm not saying, you know, if you get your excuses out of the way, you'll have more fun and you'll do more things. And you did. So often, too many times, we allow excuses to keep us from the purpose God has for us. And so we're going to study a guy who's a legend in the faith this week. And his name is Moses. Most of you know him, all right? We know a little bit about Moses. And we're going to see how Moses had some massive insecurities in his life. How Moses struggled with excuses and how he struggled with insecurity in his life when God came to him to call him to something greater. And we're going to study how Moses almost allowed them to keep him from making a difference. So if you rewind the story, we'll be in Exodus 3, but I want to give you kind of the backstory today. We're going to go back to the beginning of Moses' life. And we're going to look how this progression led him to the place we're going to study today. So you go back to the beginning. Moses is born into a nation of slavery. He's born in the children of Israel, held slaves in the land of Egypt. And so he's born into this. And in fact, the pharaoh of the land had grown mad that the Hebrews were growing in population. And so he's engaging in what he called population management, right? In the movies, that's what they call it. He's killing all of the Hebrew boys, and so Moses' mom has to hide him to keep him safe. So she puts him in a little basket. She floats him out on the Nile River. We've all seen the opening, right? the Prince of Egypt. He floats him out there. And then wouldn't you know it, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the basket in the river and takes him to live with her in the palace to raise him there. Which if you're not reading humor in your Bible, you're not reading it right, all right, everybody? Because it's like the definition of irony there that the devil is like, let's wipe out the next generation. Let's get rid of the deliverer. They're never going to be free. And God is like, well, I'll just let you foot the bill for the next generation, right? You, just, you can raise the deliverer in the palace. I'll just let you do that. So I don't care what you say. That's funny, all right? So Moses is raised in Pharaoh's household. He's raised in the palace. And about the time he turns about 40 years old, he starts to have a heart for his people, for the Hebrews. And so the Bible says he leaves the palace all of a sudden. He's out there with his people. He's kind of walking around and he sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew. And so this anger rises up inside of Moses, this, this anger. at And if you read Moses' life, you understand that he has intense anger management problems. All right? All the anger management people say amen. Moses has this all throughout his life because he goes from no conflict in his life to like murderer in like two seconds flat, all right? Like no conflict at all to murder. It's not like he gossiped about this guy. It's not like he got in a fist fight. No, he kills him. He kills this Egyptian. He buries him in the sand and he hopes that nobody finds out. But they still have, you know, CSI or the NCIS folks right back in Egypt. And so they come and they're doing the fingerprints and they're like, Moses, right? Like it's, (laughs) we know it's you busted. And so he has to run for his life. And so Moses leaves Egypt, runs for his life. And so now we pick up the story. This is where we find him. He's given up on the dream of being a deliverer. He's about 80 years old at this point. 40 years later, he's given up completely on that dream. He's out on the backside of the desert. He has a wife now and a family. He's working for his father-in-law. He's raising sheep, all these things. And he's completely forgotten about the dream he had of being the deliverer. And all of a sudden, one day, he's out with the sheep and he sees a bush on fire. Because on this July 4th weekend, God knows that all men are pyromaniacs at heart, right, everybody? Like, we just want to have... We just like to light things on fire and watch them burn. Like, if we can, we will. Amen, everybody? I don't know if your neighbors last night around 11 o'clock decided that they want to light everything on fire, but that's what happened in my neighborhood. Because, guys, just it's just something inside of us. We like to light things on fire. Consequently, ladies, if you're trying to get a guy to notice you, you just light yourself on fire. And and he'll be like, what's going on over there? What's that? That's just free for you today. All right. So in chapter three, verse four, the Bible says, when God saw, write this, when God saw Moses coming, (laughs) I like this, to take a closer look. When God saw that he had gotten Moses's attention. And I love that verse because I wonder how many times in the mundane walk of life, going about my job, doing my thing, how many times in that day to day mundane part of life, Raising sheep, doing whatever it is that we do, how often God needs to light something on fire just to get our attention, just to get my attention. Because sometimes we just get stuck in a rut and God wants to bring direction to Moses' life. And so he gets his attention, he sets the bush on fire, and then he calls to him out of the bush. And God's voice sounds like this, Moses. Like we've all seen the movies, we know what God's voice, right? that's, that's what he sounds, Moses. Moses. Because Hollywood would know what God sounds like. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. And so he says in the, the next, he says, you're standing on holy ground. Now go, I'm sending you. Watch this in the next verse. He says, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. So here's Moses. He's got this God moment. He's having this this moment where God is leading him, clearly telling him what his next steps need to be. His purpose for his life. God is basically saying, look Moses, I haven't given up on you. I know it's been 40 years. I know all the things that have happened. I know where you think you are. I haven't given up. I still have purpose and a plan for your life. You're going to go and set your people free. So I'm going to send you to Egypt. You're going to be the deliverer that you always dreamed of being. Now in my holy imagination, the next problem is... This is great. His dream's going to come true. But the next problem, can you imagine? Now Moses has to go and tell his wife. He has to go tell his wife what God has told him at the burning bush, at the plant that's on fire. Come on, somebody. He has to go and tell. So in my whole imagination, he goes in there and is like, you know, hey, honey, I have to tell you something. Okay, Moses, you know, go ahead. Tell me. Well, you see, you remember those people that are my people that I told you about 40 years ago? Like, I feel like I need to go set them free. Okay, Moses. That's, I'm, I'm with you, right? I've always loved you, Mo. You got a big heart for people, right? I just I'm with you a little bit. All right. You want to go set them free? The people that you yeah, yeah. But you see the the thing is, remember the murder that I told you about? Remember, I killed that guy. They may want to put me in jail. And so I don't know what that's going to do, you know, for our family and for our relationship and our household and things. I don't know exactly, you know, how that's going to go. But I really feel like I need to go do it. Well, OK, Moses, let me get this right. Like you want to go, you know, to a place where you want it as a murderer. Yeah, I got to go. And you want to set a whole labor force free. Yeah, I'm going to set them free. And you think God told you to do this. Yeah, God, God told me. It was the Lord. It's definitely the Lord. Okay, Moses, I'm with you. I'm with you. How did God tell you? Okay, you see, there was a bush and it was on fire. But it wasn't on fire. But it was a burning, non-burning, burning bush. You think about these stories sometimes. You think about how he has to turn this. Because, like, I can imagine, okay, I'm, Moses, I'm with you up at that point. But, like, I need a timeline of everything until the plant started to talk to you. Like, I just need, I need, of everything you did, Moses, did you, like, smoke the bush? Is that what's going on here? Is that, wait, what's going Like, if you imagine, if I was, like, the Satsuma tree, you think about these stories. But this is how God gets Moses' attention. And so Moses has to do this. But before it ever gets to that place, in my holy imagination, that's my excuse. That's where I'd be going. Before it ever gets there, Moses has excuses of his own. Moses doesn't even leave the presence of God. Like, I'm going to go do this thing. I got this. I got. Moses responds with his own excuses. And so you can imagine, like most of us, so verse 10, God says, I want you to go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You're going to lead my people out of captivity. Lead them into Egypt. Verse 11, Moses says, but who am I? To appear before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? The first of the four excuses is Moses, give if I'm not valuable. First excuse he brings before God. And I promise you, you will find yourself in one of these excuses. So often we bring this excuse before God. But the first thing Moses responds with when God's like, listen, Moses, I want you to do this great thing. I have purpose for you. I have a plan for your life. First thing Moses says, but who am I? I'm not valuable. I'm not anybody. I'm not because we see this happen throughout his life. And the reason it's happening, remember, he's a murderer. And so his perspective is from this thing he messed up, this mistake that he made. His perspective is not, well, it's about time, God. Like I've been waiting for you because I am a deliverer. I am a great person. I am ready to do this thing. His perspective is not like, let's get this thing on the road. You're late, God. I'm ready to be the deliverer. His perspective is, no, I messed up. I made a mistake. I did something wrong. I'm damaged goods. And so often in our own life, we have that perspective. When God comes to us and says, you know, I have something great to do. I want you to do something great with your life. I want you to influence people. I want you to make a difference. I want you to reach out and actually begin to serve and to do these things. Our perspective is, no, I can't do that because I'm not valuable. I'm no good. I'm, I'm thing-. And we go through these things. Seasons were the things we've wrestled with, a pain we experienced, something that we did, a mistake we made, an addiction we walked through. Something we let it disqualify ourselves from what God has for us. We let those things seep in. We let those thoughts get into our brain. And so when God comes to us, we allow those to disqualify us from the purpose he has. Or maybe it wasn't something that you did. Maybe it was something that was done to you. Maybe you were a victim of abuse, maybe physical abuse or emotional abuse, and it left you damaged and it left you feeling dirty and it left you feeling like I'm not good enough. And so when God comes to us and says, I have something for you to do, our response is, God, I'm the wrong person for the job. I'm just I'm not good enough. Well, God says to Moses, like he says to all of us in verse 12, I will be with you. I will be with you. It seems like a simple statement, but I want you to really grasp the gravity of what God is saying. The gravity of this promise. Jot it down if you're taking notes. Because when we feel like we don't have value, we have to remember that God is with me. And we feel like I don't have, I'm not good enough. I'm not enough for this situation. I, I've done things. I, we have to remember that God is with me. In fact, the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 3 that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are His temple, that He is working inside of us at the temple of the Holy Spirit. We take for granted so often as New Testament Christians what that actually means for our lives. We take for granted, we just read verses like that. Okay, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's great. That's, put that on my fridge, I'm going to work. And we take for granted what it actually means in our lives. Think about it this way. There are a few people in our church, really, really good people who have responsibilities and jobs and people that depend on them. There are a few that if someone who loved them, someone who was close to them, if they were in danger, there are a few people who would say, yeah, I'll die in their place. I'll give my life in their place. I'll take a bullet for them so that they can live. But I guarantee you, there's only a few people, maybe in thousands or millions. If there was a person who hated them, who was trying to actively destroy them and everything that they stood for, who was attacking their family, who was attacking their purpose, who was attacking everything. There are very, very few people, maybe one or two in a million who would say, yeah, I'll die in that person's place. Yeah, I'll give my life for them, even though I know maybe after I die, they're still going to ridicule me and they may still make fun of me and they may still attack my family after I'm gone. But yeah, I'll give my life. There are very, very few people who would say that, who would say that, yeah, I'll die in their place. But then you'd have to take it a step further. When you think about somebody that's broken and somebody who's lashing out and hurting and somebody who's attacking people and doing all those things, I guarantee you there's nobody in our church who would say, yeah, I'll give my child to die in that person's place. And this to me, in my life and in my life with my wife now, and as we've lived and served the church, we've given up a lot of things. We've sacrificed some stuff. We've given up on some relationships, some opportunities, kind of walked away from some things to serve the church. And we're happy to do it because we feel called to it, right? It's, it's a calling, and I believe we're called to reach God's lost children. But I just got to tell you today, honestly, if it comes down to my child or your life, goodbye, everybody. All right, you can, I'll see you on the other side, right? God bless you. I'm out. That's it. And no way I'm giving up one of my kids for any of you people, all right? Even on their worst day, I'm not trading one of them for some of you people. I just need you to know that. I love you. I really do. But I just, just need you to know not giving up nothing. And yet the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, enemies of the cross, enemies of God, while we were yet stuck in our sins, sinners, enemies of God, that God the Father gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins to redeem us. That while we were yet sinners, while we were opposed to God, it wasn't like we were really good people and that's why God did that. It wasn't like we were really good friends with God and that's why, while we were enemies of God, while we were yet sinners, God gave his one and only son to die for us. And yet we have the nerve to come before and say, well, I'm not valuable. I'm not special. I'm not nothing. I'm not worth anything. I mean, God is like, are you kidding me? I gave my one and the best thing I had to give, I gave. I sent my son to die so that you could be redeemed. I could have a relationship with you, that you could be forgiven and set free. I gave the best I have. And we come before him equivalent like we're nothing. We got nothing. No, thing. the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. God says, I gave the best I had to be reconciled so you could be set free. We have to remember the simple fact God is with me, that He's with me. Verse 13, but Moses protested. Come on, that's some of you today. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel, the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is His name, then what shall I tell them? If I go to them, they're not going to accept me. And then in chapter 4, he said, if I go, he protested again. What if they won't believe me? What is Moses, what's his excuse here? He's saying this, he's saying, I'm not accepted. Jonathan, if you're taking notes. I'm not accepted. You may think I'm valuable, God. You may have chosen me. It might be a great thing, but I'm not accepted. People don't like me. I'm not going to be listened to. You know where that came from? The day after he kills the Egyptians. The day after Moses kills the Egyptians, buries them in the sand. The day after that, Moses goes out again because he thinks he's going to be the deliverer. He's supposed to be the leader of his people. And so he goes out again out into the Israelites when he's 40 years old. And he sees two Hebrews this time fighting each other. And he goes up to them like, guys, 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 we're not supposed to fight each other, right? We're supposed to be fighting the Egyptians. And they look at him, both of these guys, they look at him and they're like, who are you to speak to us? Maybe you'll kill us like you killed the Egyptian. We don't want you to be the leader. Who are you? And that one moment sticks out in Moses' mind because he flees right after that. But the people that he remembers, when that one time he tried to be a leader, that one time he tried to step out into his purpose, they look at him, that one moment interaction... That voice that plays in his head that when God comes to Moses and he's like, listen, Moses, I've got a great plan for your life. I've got a purpose. You're going to set your people free. The voice he hears in his head is not the voice of God. He starts to hear the voice of these two guys. Well, who are you? Who are you to lead us? We don't want you to do that. Who are you to come to us and tell us God sent you? Who are you? And it starts to play in his mind. You see, all of us have walked through betrayal and pain in our relationships. All of us have had those seasons where we've walked through where someone we trusted or someone that we believed in or something. And we had that time of betrayal, that time of pain. The question I have for you today is, when God comes to talk to you, when God comes to speak purpose into your life, when God raises you up to do something great, whose voice are you hearing in your head? Are you hearing the voice of the Lord? Or are you hearing the voice of those people that hurt you or the, or the people that spoke to you. Because we've all had, everybody has had a, a teacher or a parent or a person, a friend that you were, thought you were close to who hurt you with their words who you said you'll never amount to anything and you'll never do anything great and you'll never have that happen. And you, you'll never, it'll never happen. And so when God comes to you and says, I have purpose for your life, whose voice are you hearing? See what happens so often to so many of us is we take that one painful moment and we spread it into every other one of our relationships. We we take the voice of those one or two people, we take the voice of they, like Moses did. They're not going to accept me. They're not going to believe in me. They're not going to trust me. They're not going to let me lead. They're not going to... We take the voice of they over the voice of God. And so oftentimes, we've allowed one or two experiences then to pollute every single one of our relationships. And that's the only voice we hear. Even when God himself is speaking purpose into our life, we come up with these excuses. And so many times we have that voice ringing in our minds. God says, "I want you to step out. I want you to lead that group. I want you to make a difference in a person's life. I want you to serve. I want you." And we hear the voice of they instead of the voice of God. We hear them saying, "Well, no, you couldn't do that. Well, no, you wouldn't be able to do. You're not good enough to do that." And we let the voice of they keep us from that. That's not the opinion of the people God has called you to reach. God has called you to do something great. God has called you to change lives, to bring the gospel into every part of the world. That's not the opinion of those people is not that you're not great. They're waiting for the gospel. It's the opinion of they. It's what we've allowed other people to speak into our life, to let sit in our brain. And we hear that every time we could possibly step out into our destiny. And honestly, the voice of they really has no impact on where God has called you to go. Has no impact on your purpose. Has no impact on that. We can't allow it to stay in our brains. In fact, he tells Moses, he says, Look, I know you're struggling with this whole idea of being accepted. Moses, I want you to know the Lord is sending you. In fact, he told the people, Tell the people that Yahweh, I am, that the Lord has sent you. And so oftentimes when we wrestle with this idea, I won't be accepted or I won't be good and I won't be accepted, we have to remember God is with me. And then we remember God has sent me. That God has given purpose to each one of us, that God has things. And I'm not going to let a couple of people in my past who spoke death over me. I'm not going to let a couple of people in my past who criticized, who said I wasn't I'm not going to let them keep me from the destiny God has for me. I'm not going to let them keep me from the purpose that God has for my life. And the same is true for you, that God has something for you to do. You can't let the voice of they drown out the voice of God, that God has sent me. In fact, the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, that from one man, he made every nation of the earth, made all, and then watch this, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out, this is talking about God, He marked out the appointed times in histories and the boundaries of their lands. Exactly where and when they should live. Do you know God has purpose for placing you where you are? God has purpose for the life that you're living. God has a place and a purpose and a time for you to live. And I've said this before that we're living in some incredibly important times in terms of spreading the gospel. And it's incredible to look at the world that we're living in, the culture. And there's one side that may say, well, we need to be afraid of it. We need to stand down and we need to just huddle together until Jesus comes. And there's another side that says, God had a purpose for placing us here at this time. God has a purpose for putting you where you live, where you work, where you are. God has a purpose for you to make a difference on this world. Well, he knew the times and the places that we would live. And He called us to this place. Because listen to me, everybody. Paul is dead, Samuel is dead. The judges, the prophets, the Old Testament, the New Testament, every single one of them, they're gone. They're not here. We are here. God has placed us at this moment to make a difference in this world. And I don't know why, but God has chosen us to make a difference. And so when people try to tell you you can't or you shouldn't or you're not this or you're not that. Remember, God has sent me. God has a purpose for me right now where I am, where he's placed me. And we've got purpose. But verse 10, watch this. Too many people are paralyzed because they believe that lie that I'm not accepted in verse 10 Moses pleaded with the Lord Lord I'm not very good with words I'm not a good speaker I never have been and I'm not down even though you've spoken to me I'm still a bad speaker I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled what's he saying he's saying I'm not talented enough Lord it's great that you think I'm valuable it's great that you know you're gonna you sent me that's fantastic Lord but you didn't build me to the right specifications for what it is you're calling me to do I hear the call and I'm with you, Lord. I know you love me and I know that people will accept me. I know all that kind of stuff, but you didn't build me right, Lord, because I don't have the talents and the giftings that you think I seem to have. I'm not the one for the job. But see, here's the thing. We allow pain in our life. We allow the things that we walk through to send us wandering through the deserts of life. We get disconnected from people. We get disconnected from God. And we allow that to shape our view of who we are and the giftings God has gifted us with. We allow that pain and that voice in our heads to tell, to tell us who we are and we forget who God has made us. Acts chapter 7, there's this very interesting verse in verse 22 that I think is relevant talking about Moses. It says that Moses was educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians and watch this phrase, and was powerful in speech and action. No translation, He says he was raised in the palace and he was powerful in speech and action. Now, how did we get from Moses being raised in the palace, powerful in speech, to 40 years later on the backside of the desert, wandering around, telling God, I'm not good. Not only am I not good now, I've never been good. I'm not anything. I'm not worth it. I'm not, I'm not built right. I've never had that gift. And that word in the Greek actually means exceptionally gifted in. That word powerful in speech, exceptionally gifted in. How do we get from Moses being exceptionally gifted in the palace to now having nothing to be in like, I've actually never had that gift, God. I'm actually not good at it. And it happens to so many of us because we believe the lie of the devil. This lie that comes in the voice in our head, we get disconnected from our purpose. We get separated from the call of God on our life to where we believe, well, I was never good at it and I'll never be good at it and I'll never be able to use those giftings. And I know you gave them to me, God, but they're not good enough. And we say these things. we might not use those words, but that's what we are displaying to God. God, I know you created me with a talent and a gifting and an ability. I know all those things, but I'm so disconnected from my purpose. I'm 40 years removed from the palace in that time. I'm so far gone from that. I never had it. I never will have it. You got the wrong guy. I'm just not, I'm not fit for the job. We believe the lie that I'll never make a difference with my life. Well, God says in verse 12, Moses, listen, it's going to be okay. Watch this. I will be with you. I'll help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. God to say, I promise Moses, I know you think you have this problem. I know you think, but I'm the one that gave you your mouth. He says in another verse, who made your mouth, Moses? Who gave you, made you all those things to make you talk good? I know how I can make this thing happen. He said, I'll teach you to do that. I'll do that. I want you to know at Victory, we believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that he is with us every step of the way, that the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, that it is with us every day and we need it with us every moment of our life. And Bible says this in thing, it calls him the teacher. And so jot it down if you're taking notes that God will teach me. You say, well, I'm I'm just, I'm not talented enough. You don't have to be talented enough. God will teach you. God has a purpose for your life. God has called you to do something. He will be with you in the midst of it. The Holy Spirit. And you have to settle in your heart that there will be moments where you don't have the answer for it. There will be moments where you don't know what to do, where you don't know what to say. I cannot every day of my life. I pray some form of prayer of Holy Spirit. I don't know what to do. Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to speak in this relation. I don't know what to do with this person. I don't know what decision to make. I need help. Every single day we have to have a dependence on the Holy Spirit. And God's not like, oh man, again, you don't know what to do. Like you didn't know what to do last Tuesday. You don't know what to do this Tuesday. Like you are disqualified from everything else in your life. Like that is just, you are fired from being a human. You are just done. i move on. God never does that. No, in fact, God, the Bible says, God has made, his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. God celebrates when we are weak. Because his power can shine through all the more. Paul talked about this in the New Testament. He said, I'm not embarrassed anymore of the things that I'm weak in. Because it allows God's power to show all the more in it. I celebrate the times when I don't know what to do. I celebrate the times when I am weak. Because then when it happens, people can't point to me as the reason it happened. They can only look to God. So we celebrate. We say, in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. In my weakness, he can be shown strong. As Christians, we celebrate those times. That his purpose can be made, the Holy Spirit in our lives, the best in my moment. That's when God's power works the best in my weakness. I celebrate those moments. We surrender to him, to the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians says this in chapter 3. It's because of that power on the inside of us. And watch this. Some people get this verse wrong. Because of his power on the inside of us. It doesn't say, now we can do more and exceedingly abundantly. It says, because of his power on the inside of us, now he can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask think or imagine it's God at work inside of us you say well I'm not talented God God will teach me God can empower you he wants to empower you with the Holy Spirit inside of you've never experienced that I beg you begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would live on the inside of you that you can have that every step of the way that he'll teach you what to say that he'll walk you through it's his role is to teach his role is to empower but it still wasn't enough for Moses. Verse 13. But Moses pleaded again. Come on, you're just getting tired of the Lord. Please watch this. Just, this one in the next verse 15 of chapter 4. It says Moses pleaded again. And he said one, one verse before that in verse 14. He says, Lord, would you send anybody else? I love the word. And, and each translation says it a little bit different. But he said, Lord, would you send someone else? Lord, would you send anybody else? God, would you just, just choose somebody else? And what's he saying here? What's he actually saying? God, I'm not comparable. I'm not comparable. There are other people who are better than me. Lord, I, I realize you love me. I realize that maybe you'll teach me. I realize that you'll, you'll bring, you know, relationships and things in my life. I realize all of that, God, but I'm not comparable to the people around me. There's somebody who's got to be better for this job. Send them, oh Lord. Here I am, send my brother. And you hear Moses begin to make this, God, I'm not as good as they are. There are other people who have more talent than me. There are other people who are better than me. Someone else will be better at this. And we live in a generation where we get on our devices. We get on our cell phones. And we get on Instagram. Or we look at Facebook. And we look at these people all around. we say, Lord, I'm not as good as them. I'm not, I'm not as, as good looking as they are. I'm not as skinny as they are. I'm not as eloquent as they are. I don't have the filter that makes me 25 years younger than they are. Right? That they seem to have found. And then they post like, i just feeling good today. That's not even you. All right, everybody? That's just not... I'm just speaking truth today. You put that filter on. That's not even you. But we look at that garbage and we think I'm not as good as them. I I didn't stage my picture as well as they did. I just, I'm just not. Why would God ever call me? And we let the devil get into our minds and begin to tell us we're not as good as so-and-so. We're not as eloquent as so-and-so. But here's the beauty of this. And I want you to get, if you get nothing else in this sermon, I want to get this idea into your mind. And it comes out of the book of Matthew Matthew chapter 25 Bible gives us this picture about the landowner who represents God. And so he represents God. He gives one person five talents and one person, two talents and one person, one talent. And then he goes away and he allows them to invest the talents that he's given them. And I want you to see this story because when he comes back, he doesn't look at the guy with two talents and say, hey, you got two talents and you turned it into four. But the guy with five talents turns his into ten. And so I don't know what you're doing with those two talents. I don't know what you're what you know. He asks him, what did you do with what I gave you? He looks at the guy that he gave two talents to and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? And that word talent is actually where we get the word for talents and abilities and giftings out of this story. We get that word for talents. because He's looking at him and he's like, hey, five talent guy got five more talents. I don't understand two talent guy. Why you can't be more like five talent guy. Like, I don't understand why you can't do it. No, he said, what did you do with what I gave you? Two things I want you to remember from this story. First off, most of us are not five-talent people, all right? Just settle that in your mind. Most of us, God did not make us five-talent people. And so let's, let's celebrate five-talent guy, right? Who runs marathons and flies fighter jets and makes millions of dollars and has everything going right. farts butterflies. Come on, so he just, everything goes well in his life. Let's celebrate the Lord for five talent guy. Everything is awesome. We're very proud of five talent. But that ain't me. Most of us, God does not give you it all. And so we got to be happy with the one talent that God gives us, our two talent. We'll celebrate five talent guy. Lord, just let him bless the kingdom. Five talent girl who has 18 million pregnancies and loses weight after them. Come on, somebody. That ain't, <laughs> that ain't real. That's just that's five talent. That's just not me. Praise the Lord for five talent guy. I'm going to work that out of my life. We have to serve God. God's not going to look at us when we get there at the end when he's sending all of our works. And it says that the wood, hay and stubble get burned up. And he's looking at what we did with what he gave us. Five talent guys not going to be standing at the end of that conveyor belt with all his trophies like, woohoo, I'm better than you. No, God's going to look at you and say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the giftings that I gave you? I'm going to manage my one talent. I'm going to manage my one talent so that when I stand before him, I can show this is what you gave me. To whom much is given, much is required. Come on, to what you have been given, that is what you give an account for. What you have been given. When all one talent people stand before God, it's going to be about who we are and what we did with what he gave us. So let's get our eyes off of people. Get our eyes off of others. Get our eyes off of comparing ourselves constantly to those around us, to a fake idea of who they are. Let's get our eyes on Jesus and run the race that he set out for us to run. Got to get our eyes off of people. And at that time, after this last one, at that time, the Bible says the Lord's anger burned against Moses. So Moses says excuse number four. And the Lord's anger burns it, which is where I'm thankful that I'm not God. All right, everybody? I'm just thankful. Because at this point, I'd have been like, you know what, Moses? You're right. You stink. Like, you're, you're the worst ever for this job. You are. I'm I'm just, I agree with you, Moses. I just have killed him and made another one. I've just been like, that's it, Moses. Right? Like, we messed up when we made you. I don't know how we messed up that bad, but we just, you know, just... Get you out of the way. You are just with your insecurities and your excuses. Just get you out. we would just be thinking, you're just right. And I would also be thinking, if he is this hard to hire, how hard is he going to be to manage? Come on, somebody. Like, (laughs) you're right. You're bad. (laughs) You don't need this job. Some of you are thinking about somebody on your staff right now. You are thinking, you just come and praise God. We are not God, right? So God looks at him and he's like, I'm upset with you, Moses. But what about your brother? Like he's mad at Moses, but he's like, okay, what about Aaron? He can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, in fact. He'll be glad to see you. He's headed in the same direction as you are. We're going to pair you up with him. And that he can have, you can give him the words to speak. And you guys will work together to get this thing done. God is mad with Moses and he still sends him help. He still sends him his brother, Aaron, to accomplish the purpose together. I want you to see that relationships, though, are not about competition. You say, I'm not comparable to all that. You're not supposed to be comparing yourself to everybody else in the church. That's not what relationships are about. They're not about competition. They're about complementing one another to achieve the goal that God has for this. When we raise the money for Albania, there's one teacher who's working there to pour into the lives of those teachers. There's a ministry there. There's a church here. If we try to do everything on our own. You know how far we would get? I'm telling you, not far at all. But we join with others, and the same is true inside of the church. You're not supposed to be comparing yourself with five talent guy and five talent girl, three talent guy did that last week, and so and so, and I'm just falling behind. No, we're supposed to join together. We run this race together. It's why we have our small groups that we can support each other, that we can do this, we can run further, faster together than we could ever do on ourselves. We could ever do alone. God intended for us to link arms together so we could go further, faster. We're not supposed to compete, we're supposed to complement. The Bible says this in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. He says, Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pursue the things that God has put in front of you, pursue the ideals and what it means to be a follower of Christ, along with all of those who follow the Lord out of a pure heart. So jot it down if you're saying, when you say, I'm not comparable, God will connect me. You Say, I'm comparing myself. You need to stop the comparisons and realize God wants to connect you with other believers. That we would come together as a church. God has relationships for you and he will connect you to people that can help you run this race. We're not comparing or competing. We're lifting each other up. You have to remember that God is with us. Even in the midst of our flaws, even in the midst of our mistakes, we remember God still has a purpose for us, that God has sent us, that he's still calling us out. Even when I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling left alone, or I'm feeling out of my lane or I'm feeling like this thing could never work, God will connect us. It'll teach us. He'll empower us. He'll give us the strength to accomplish. We look at a guy like Moses who's made massive mistakes riddled with insecurity, made massive mistakes in his life, feels like he's at the end of it all, feels like he's not good enough, has all these excuses he puts before. We look at him before God on the backside of the desert and God takes that man from that place and he uses him to set an entire nation free. He uses him to set free his people. He uses him to set free an entire nation to lead them out of bondage. He becomes one of the heroes of the faith. One of the giants of the faith. And it helps me with confidence today to know that God can still use you and God can still use me. In spite of all of the excuses we think we have. Every head bowed, every eye closed today as we pray. I just want to pray that God would give you confidence. That God would reinforce this idea that he does want to use you. That he would free some of us from these excuses that we've tried to put before him, like Moses, these excuses that we've let take deep root in our heart, that he would free us from those. It's time to overcome the excuses. Now, there are some of you who are here today, and some of the things I talked about, you've walked through that. The pain of relationship, or the pain of a life season, or the pain that someone else did to you, you've walked through those things, and you've allowed it to take root. And you've pushed people away and you've pushed God away and you've pushed what you thought was religion away. I want you to know today very clearly that you may have given up on yourself, but God has not given up on you. That he still has purpose for your life. He still has things for you to accomplish for the kingdom that it's never too late. God still has something for you to do. That he still has purpose for you. He can still live the life that he's called you to live. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to know that he's not mad at you for the mistakes you did. He's not looking to get even with you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to set you free. He wants to redeem you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to set you on the path to live the life that he's called you to live. And so that's you today and you say, I need that. I feel Him drawing me. I I want that. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow Him. I want to be forgiven. If that's you today, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you today. I want to connect you with Jesus. You say, well, who is Jesus to me? He's the perfect spotless Lamb of God. Came to earth, lived His life, and died in your place and in mine on the cross. And then rose again that anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be set free. Gave his blood in our place. Gave his body for our forgiveness. So that's you today. You say, I want to follow him. I want you to know you're here for this moment. I know we've got things planned and I know the service has been great and all this stuff has happened. But I want you to know this moment when God is speaking to you. This is why you're here. This is why you're watching online. This is why God has brought you to this moment that you would surrender to him. And I just want to pray with you to do that. You can pray it loud. You can pray it quiet. But you need to say these words and surrender your own heart to him. So come on, church, let's pray with them. Nobody prays alone. Say these words, say, Jesus, I repent. Save me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for every person in this church. God, for the potential in every single person to make an impact for the kingdom of God. To make a difference in this world. Father, we thank you that you are calling us today by the Holy Spirit to take steps of faith. Father, we thank you that there is a hurting and broken world on the other side of our obedience that we are called to reach. We thank you for placing us in this time and in this place to make a difference. Lord, I ask you send people across our path that we can reach. Give us opportunities to live in faith. Let us never let excuses keep us from the purpose you have for us. God, I thank you that you would help us to see the hurt God, help us to see the need. Help us to step out, Lord, to make a difference, to live in the calling and the purpose that you have for our lives. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, can we put our hands together for what God has done today?